You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Kirk, I'm doing something in this lead into a race that I've never done in my life before intentionally. And that is, I am I have now gone five, maybe six weeks of almost entirely quality work. Huh. I think I have done two to three easy runs in the last five to six weeks. Tell me more. I want to hear what's your first reaction to that. Well, because if we got that as a Q and A question, <laughs> we'd laugh at it, right? I want to know if it's by design or if it's by default. That's what I want. Both. It started happening because I was having those ankle and whatever else little nagging things that were happening. I was, I was uh, too inflamed after quality work, so I was doing non-impact or something else, and then I started just feeling really good. In terms of healthfulness, yeah. not necessarily fitness, just healthfulness. I would every time I ran, I felt better because I wasn't running in between, so I didn't come in with any inflammation or fatigue, and I wasn't prepping for anything really. So I was like, it's a good little rhythm to be in, and I'm staying safe and healthy, and it gives me time to work on these other little areas of my body that have been letting me down. So it felt holistic, and then race suddenly popped up. I, I, I seriously need to do Palmerton and I didn't want to fall into my pattern in the past, which was trying to cram. And so I decided I would do the quality work required to try to cram, but I wouldn't do anything else. I would keep that schedule going. So I'm still running roughly three times a week. Like I think three and a half is my average for the last seven weeks, but everything is quality. I mean, I built half a career on that setup. Uh, years ago, you know, getting from one quality session to the next. One more piece to that. Yeah. In the last four weeks, I have stopped doing the non-impact cardio in between. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I've been working out three to four times a week for six weeks now. What? And I feel really good. Well, you're doing strength work as well, right? Barely. I cut so that you, out So you're too. just swinging hard three days a week and then nothing in Swinging medium-ish. Okay. And if I swing hard, it's short, like time trial or that mile race or a 5K time trial. I'm swinging medium to hard three-ish times per week, one lift per week, and I'm playing basketball twice per week in the morning. And I feel, what I feel like right now is how I felt after track season and at the end of the old OCR seasons where the big meet was done, but there were a few little last chance meets that you didn't really have much of a chance at, or OCR season's done, but there's some easy Midwest cash grab stuff you can go out and do. And I'm not really training anymore, but I just hit a couple quick workouts per week to stay sharp. And then you get in this weird zone where you feel kind of good and you know, it's not sustainable, but it's fun. And you're really, really refreshed. That's exactly how I feel right now. I have more questions than answers. However, I would say that for the short game, I think it's I don't think it decreases your chances of going to Palmerton and feeling good and performing well. I'm not worried about that at all. I don't think it's a I don't, I don't think it's a very good long term strategy and I know it's not. I know you're getting to tomorrow and then you'll rejig the system. Um 
I had a period of time mm -hmm. where for three months I was only running four days a week and I was doing nothing in between, basically. Some strength work. This was mm -hmm. two falls ago. And I built some of the best fitness. Like I wouldn't do it any. Some days I had three. I look back at my log. When I ran, I ran. And when I didn't, I didn't. And it still worked out because I have a cache of bank account deposits from years and years and you do too. So like that is part of this for you. Um, I don't, I don't hate it. I think it, it sounds really nice for a one K. I don't know how it's going to sound for a three K after two one Ks, but yeah, lap two and three are going to be rough. I think you're going to be ready for the, the punch in the mouth at least. Cause you're feeling that in training, you're doing those type of workouts. So, um, I don't think mm -hmm. you're going to know you're either never going to feel the effects of your lack of volume or it's you're going to feel great, and then the piano is going to land on your back. That's what I think is going to happen. It's going to be one of those two. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I I firmly believe the final is going to be a struggle, and I'm okay with that. But what it's done now is I have no mental worry or issue when things don't go well or don't go right. Like we went camping this weekend. I didn't even bother trying to work out. <laughs> I just did <laughs> six days out from my race. And I didn't work out at all. And I didn't care one bit. It was really freeing because it's normal. That's what I'm used to. <laughs> so I'm in a I'm in a really good mental headspace right now in a really non uh committal but very committed training where I'm not committing to anything other than get the quality done each week. So I know I can't do it long term, but it's been really fun while it lasted. <laughs> How come I, one, didn't know this? Two, I don't really know what to say to you because I don't, I, I'm just, <laughs> there's nothing to, I, I mean, everything I've done is on Strava, everything. All right. I'll have to go look. <laughs> it's all there. There's just not much there. Yeah. Outside of warm ups, everything's on Strava. I, I'm not hiding anything. All right. Well, you're not going to be able to hide anything out on course either. So we're going to see if, uh, if, no. if the purposefulness of your sessions, which I know have been quite purposeful, um, you know, for you, it's mm -hmm. like the only thing is because I know you somewhat as an athlete because we've gotten to know each other over the years is how well you respond to longer stuff, how it translate, ni translates nicely to shorter efforts for you. So knowing that that's right. been removed is like that's sort of the, the question. I think for me, if it were me yeah. and all I did was inside out type transition quality work for three days a week i don't think i would be as i wouldn't be as worried for me because i think that would actually move the needle for me in a certain direction because i've lacked that lately but for you that's your wheelhouse kind of already mm -hmm. so you're 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 playing to your strengths basically in a way yeah and, and i didn't bring this up as like an excuse or as a how do you think i'll perform because honestly it's okay with me either way it's just an interesting spot to, i'm feeling the way i felt my second to last year in college where I didn't qualify for nationals and didn't have a chance. Like I knew I was too far away from the standard to get in, but I stayed on working out with the guys who were going to go or chasing yep. things. So I stopped doing easy runs. I was just lifting and eating and having fun, but I showed up for all their track sessions to help them through like pace them and whatnot. Uh, and then I started feeling really fit to the point where I jumped in a race and I PR'd because it was like that weird postseason where you're not getting unfit but you're recovered from all the work you did and you were probably overcooked because you worked too hard in practice all season that's how i feel right now so it's fun it's a little bit a feeling of nostalgia but it's certainly not advice we would give out you know we had a period of time in that i did not make our national team in cross country my freshman year of college i was our ninth guy i think so i didn't make the team i mean they took seven to nationals and one sub for, so they took eight. I was like the first man out. Anyways, uh, they encouraged to be ready for next year. If you thought you'd make the team next year that you should continue to practice with 
the guys who are running at nationals. So I show up to the quality days, did the exact same thing you're outlining, very little in between. And we actually time trialed. He would time trial us that didn't continue on at the end of the year. We ran a five, uh, a 5K on the cross course. We ran a 3K on the track and a mile. He stationed about three weeks apart. Mm-hmm. And I was just, I won all of them. I was just ripping. Ran like 840 something in the 3K, which was beyond my talent at the time like a 419 mile and all i was doing was like exactly what you're talking about but it preceded a whole season of work so it did i did work for me too you have to do the work first correct yeah and you you have to get back to reality afterwards you get this brief little honeymoon period where it's just fun maybe you're in the honeymoon phase you could be that's me in a nutshell right now kirk I'm in the honeymoon phase. Well, OCR report, I would pay to watch this one play out, but I don't have to. I'll just watch it play out for free. I've got a list for you. You want to hear who's going? Uh, I do. Yeah. They they updated. Okay. Jack just sent it over, so I'm just going to read it to you. Uh, and I'm not going to read everyone off, just like the what would be considered high flyers. Okay. All right. Manuel Defoe, who we've seen podium every mm-hmm. race so far this year. Uh, Robert Killian, mm-hmm. Ryan Kempson, Samuel LeBaire, Thomas Van Tonder, Tyler Veerman, Hawk Call, Jarrett Newby, um, Balin Bean, Austin Azar, uh, maybe Ryan Atkins, maybe Logan Broadbent. It's 10 or 11 guys that yeah. have a name behind them that have done something to get your attention in the past. Yeah. And then there's a bunch of people like Living Good, Adam Beach, mm-hmm. people in there. Uh, a bunch of the, the Mexican athletes are coming up. It's going to be a dogfight with really big dogs. You know, you think if they're going to be trimming the trimming the fields into a third every time um might have to be fighting for spots depending on how many they are taking up front i mean if they're taking 45 up front no problem i don't know how many are registered but if there's 30 there there's 30 there that goes down to 15 and then that goes down to like making the finals not a gimme yeah that's what i'm saying if it's going to go deep if there's not a full field of 45 so sweet dude i'm excited to watch I will be watching. What do you think I did immediately after receiving that message from Jack? Uh, you went and pooped. Immediately. Yeah. I finished reading it, got up and ran to the back. Yeah, your nerves go right to your yeah. butt. Not a chance anything nerves else could right happen. Nerves go right to your butthole for some reason. Predictable as the day is long, Bracken. Should we, uh, should we begin? <laughs> On that note, shall we? <laughs> Yeah, we have a few questions we want to deep dive into today. Um, these are these are listener submitted questions that we just wanted to take our time with a little more um, instead of like a rapid fire Q and A. Uh, we may do this from time to time, um, answering some pertinent questions for you listeners. That's it. That's it. We got a handful. I've got three that I wanted to bring up today. I don't know what you've got, but um, I think we can, you know, give a more thorough answer. Dedicate five or so minutes maybe more per question which would be cool so that's what we're doing i can open it if you'd like that's rock all right kick us off i will kick us off okay this is from one of my athletes an email you always know the emails are serious ones like you know when we get emailed questions you know it's serious Mm -hmm. um although me and this gentleman email regularly as part of our programming but it says it says kirk i really appreciate the guidance here I think not knowing it's supposed to feel this way and there's daylight on the other side, if I just keep going, is really encouraging. Oh, I'm not including a previous email, so I'll just leave you in the dark there. So in the past, these situations, I'll fill you in on this afterwards, by the way. In the past, these situations would lead me to take the foot off the gas thinking my body needed further rest. The process of understanding how my body responds, recovers, and adapts from blocks of purposeful stimulus is something I'm learning. Historically, I think I've misread what I've been feeling and... 
ultimately have been underestimating what my body can handle. I'm learning about what it feels like to forge new fitness versus maintaining fitness. Maybe a Q&A session with BK. I'd love to hear about how you think about this, what it should feel like to build fitness, compare first couple weeks versus six month to a year versus five to 10 years in, where do folks misinterpret their body's feedback? At what point does it start to feel normal? What are the real red flags to look for when you should pull back? By the way, this week is off to a better start. Thanks again for the support. So hmm. I'll, I'll let you interpret that. Big picture, what does training and getting more fit look and feel like at each stage of progression? Yes. Is that basically it? Yes. And what I'm actually trying to do right now as we chat is pull up his training plan from that period of time. But yes, you're understanding the, it correctly. Like, when do I listen and when do I push through? And then what can I expect? Mm -hmm. Like, what are the right decisions, right? Like, what? how do I know what to do and when to do it? It's a confusing world we live in, Brad. It is. Why don't you just, just take a stab at this? I'm pulling up the training plan real quick. I don't know if there's a right place to start. So I'm going to start where it took me. Like, as soon as he started, you started speaking his words where it took me. Whenever I kick off a training block or whenever I start a plan that's designed to not be super long term, I feel like the improvement happens fairly rapidly because you will stack similar workouts together. Like usually you might do a tempo run per week, an interval per week, a long run per week. But if you're trying to accomplish something, you might do two or three of those in a row. And those lead to quick improvements up front. So for example, uh, in fall sometimes when I when I'm about to kick off a build, I'll do like a threshold like reload block where every third day I'll run a tempo run for like four or five straight. And then I feel like I've improved so quickly at that thing. Maybe not my overall fitness, but at performing in that manner that now I can move on to the next thing. But I couldn't sustain that very long. So I think anytime you start up something new, you can expect real success and advancement early on because half of it is learning how to perform it correctly. And then the other half is just getting a little bit more skilled at it. But the long blocks, the long builds, those are the ones where sometimes you have to sit in it a while wondering what's happening. And then you arrive a day like, wow, that this is suddenly not bad, but it's it sneaks up on you. So I, I know that kind of clouds things that doesn't really... But it's maybe just a kickoff point of short-term versus long-term term builds really are different in terms of how are you going to feel your fitness come around? Well, I agree with all of that. I'm going to throw the curveball at you now, which which I was holding back on. Mm. Um, he wrote me that email his first week back to training after his mandatory week off that I that I said we're going to take a we're going to take a week off. Mm. He did his first week back to training and then wrote me an email saying I feel awful. And, uh, in the past I would have listened and thought I didn't have enough recovery and I needed to take another week off. And I would typically, when I feel the flame, I just put my hand farther away instead of hold it to it and grit and bear it. And then I strongly encouraged him to, no, that's not the answer. We're just, we're working through some kinks here. We're busting through some rust, so to speak, after you're getting your wheels back under you. And things have been going great, by the way, for him. So... So one, it, it opens up the question of like, how should I actually feel after a rest week, right? Like how, what can I expect? Like mm -hmm. coming back after seven to 10 days off. And then two, that cycle of how should I feel? When should I push through? What does that adaptation look like? Um, I'm going to answer the first part or the second part of that 
to piggyback off of what you said first, which is what I find and what I think you find, you outlined, is initially, especially if it's a get in shape quick scheme, you're going to see pretty good adaptation quite quickly. It's like starting a new diet. It's like doing anything. You're going to see really quick results in the first little bit, and then it's going to taper off. You're going to start to plateau in some fashion at some point. Typically in the training world, it works the same way. You're going to see some pretty good incremental gains early on, especially on a new program. And then eventually they're going to be, you're going to be splitting hairs to find the the wins, right? Like I did improve my 5k got four seconds faster. That feels trivial at this point or whatever. And what seems to happen is that eventually like the stimulus, you just kind of sit in a slight overreaching phase where your work, you're just not recovering enough to soak it all up. And so you're really training compromised slightly, a little damaged, a little fatigued, and you're not able to access all your hard work. And so what happens is eventually after you take a reset, let the body soak up the training and recover on a cellular metabolic structural level, you come back to training and then you're able to access the hard work you did all those previous months and months and months. Then you see another bump in fitness, you run into a similar plateau, but this plateau is higher. And then you sort of rinse and repeat that cycle. The more of these cycles you do, the longer you do this, the first of all, like the harder the gains come, but you can, you can progress for a longer period of time, the more miles you have under your belt, because you're used to the fatigue and you can actually soak up the training in the moment versus oftentimes needing some sort of reset to be able to access it for real. And I don't know if that made sense to you or not, but in general, you'll see that trajectory amongst athletes, especially Mm -hmm. when they're entering like a purposeful training plan for the first time is Noob gains, plateau, too tired to really get better. They need a reset. They come back and then suddenly, whoa, they pop again, right? And you see that repeated cycle through an Mm -hmm. athlete's history typically. Yeah, and this isn't where the question was designed to go, but I think it's just where it's leading me, so I'm going to follow it. This is right here, this concept that makes training yourself or being a coach when you're low on experience, very difficult. Mm. Because the things that move the needle for you early on are not necessarily indicators of what's going to move the needle for you later on. And people will often return to, well, I I just got really fit doing this, and then I got away from it, and now it's slowed down. or what? And it's like, yeah, maybe, but early on, almost anything you would have done Mm -hmm. worked. But it doesn't mean that that's the gold standard of how to train. 100%. 100%. And so it, it does get misleading. And then you start second guessing and you mistrust your plan thinking, I'm not doing that thing I would that made me feel so good. It's like, yeah, yeah, that could be where to explore. But it also could be just that season of training is done. You can't stay in that year round. So in, in terms of how you uh, come off of a recovery week, I look at deload weeks or off seasons like taking a nap. And you pretty much only wake up from a nap one of two ways. You either wake up feeling like you just had a total refresh on life and you're ready to rock, or you wake up feeling like I could sleep for another three hours and I can barely open my eyes. Mm-hmm. Like it either drains you or it refreshes you immediately. But you almost never wake up from a nap feeling exactly how you went into the nap feeling. And you don't hear that with people coming out of down weeks either. You don't hear them say, wow, I felt exactly the same as I did going into it. Because if you did, you have a medical issue, most likely, just like with that nap. If you go into it totally exhausted and you come out totally exhausted, you've got something going on deeper in you that needs more and more and more sleep. But usually it's you're refreshed or you're sluggish. And that's what deload weeks do. Oftentimes, you either come off feeling awesome that first week 
or you don't feel good until the second week. And that it's okay. Like both accomplish their goal. It's just when does it when does the nap give you your benefit? That's probably the best analogy you've tossed out in months, to be honest. In months. Because it's so relatable. Really? Yeah, because you can take a 20-minute nap and wake up feeling like somebody hits you across the face with a sledgehammer. Or, you're right, you can wake up, jump into your shoes, and be ready to rock. But even when you feel like you got hit across the head with a sledgehammer, two hours later, your your pep's in your step again, and that nap's paying off later. But not right when you roll off the couch. You're like, oh, my God. So you're right there. And I think it's one of two things. So... If you want to explore those camps further, you have the person who took their deload week or their off week. This is a complete rest week assigned. No structured aerobic work. I said, don't do anything. Um, No running for sure. Uh, And so you get done with that and you feel like the hit by a bus after a nap scenario. What does that mean versus if you took a deload week or a full rest week and then that first week back, you're just jumping in your shoes, right? Like why would one person feel one way after their off week while the other feels the opposite way, right? Why did the nap hit one person that way and the other differently? And I have some theories on that. In fact, I think the person who hits their off or their rest week and comes back and just starts firing on all cylinders was probably running under pretty solid underlying fatigue for quite a while. And that week is exactly what they needed to just get their feet back under them and let them charge back up. I think the person that wakes up from their nap feeling like shit or feels like crap after returning was actually probably in a really good training cycle. They probably weren't actually overtrained to any sort of degree. And it got them out of their rhythm and their routine enough where that nap threw a wrench in their day. And I would say that's actually a sign that you didn't need the rest as much as the guy who starts hopping right back into his running shoes feeling good. So even though you start training again and feel sluggish, that's misleading. I actually believe that you were probably more rested going into your rest week, and now your body's just thrown off. It needs to recalibrate mm-hmm. again, whereas the overtrained individual is going to feel much better almost instant. So it, it's counterintuitive that way, but that's how I I look at it. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's not a, it's not a kiss of death either. It's just no. you got to wait a few days, and then you're going to feel good again. Mm-hmm. And just like naps, usually you wake up feeling better the first time you wake up. Like if you wake up from the nap, it was really quick. Something startles you. You should get up and go right then if you want to feel good that day. But if you go back to sleep and you make it an hour or two hours, your whole day is is going to be sluggish. Mm. So it's kind of the same thing with, with taking these breaks. It's why we like these three to seven day breaks mid-season so that you don't have to take a three-hour nap later. Get a 20-minute nap right now and then move on with your week. If you need the three hours, you probably need 24 hours. Mm. That's kind of the way I look at it. Like if you need to sleep for three hours in an afternoon, you probably need an entire week to get on top of your sleep. And that's the same thing with training. Like if if I need more than seven days, I probably need 14 days. We want to avoid those 14-day breaks as often as possible. And that requires some shorter, you know, three to seven-day breaks in between. So Again, kind of getting off on things he didn't ask, but from a holistic standpoint, that's how I feel about all these things. Mm. And also when you have a rest week, he also had very often, I said, don't strength. I don't want any stress, no strength training, no nothing. Well, week one, you return to lower body work and it hits different because it's been truly two full weeks since your last strength workout. Plus the last week was probably a taper week because you had a race you're following up and resting after. And so you really haven't hit the lower body with purpose, let's say barbell squats, deadlifts. And so you have a compounding interest effect here. Not only did you come off a week off, you reintroduced leg work after you haven't done it for two or three weeks. And that's going to put you back no matter where you're at in your cycle. 
And so it's just like, a, uh, you just got to wipe the crust out of your eyes and know that you're going to feel a little gunky. That's okay. That's okay. Yep. Um, I don't know how long we want to dwell on that one. And it is, I want to say one more thing there. It is impossible to live your normal routine if you take your training out of it. You're going to compensate in some way. Maybe you stay up later because you have more life energy. Maybe it's you take the time that you were spending to spend time doing other things or spending time with people, which leads to staying up later or whatever, or you're going to sleep in a little bit. Any one of these things by itself will leave you feeling a little weird when you come back to training. But if you do two or three of those, it's just everything's off slightly. And we know how it is how easy it is to throw off a workout or a race. Like it's not that difficult to screw it up. Yeah. So if you take a whole week of doing things differently, yeah, you're going to feel off. Yeah. And he asked questions about how you should know when to press and when to listen to your body as you get further into your training for years. Hmm. Um, we could do an entire episode on that. Maybe we should, but um, it really varies depending on who you are as an athlete, to be honest, more than anything. Yeah. Injury susceptibility. Yeah. Um, all sorts of things. And I think you look for patterns. As soon as something starts to happen more often than it's not happening, that's when you don't push through. When you miss a workout or you feel terrible in it and then you're fine, who cares? When you miss three or four workouts in a row, there's an issue. If you wake up like, oh, I don't want to train today, that's fine. Everything ebbs and flows. But when you have like a week in a, a, week in a row, like seven straight days of I don't want to be doing this, you're overcooked. Or when something bugs you on and off, you can probably push for a little bit, depending on what that thing is. But when it's every single day, that's when you you back off. So is it a pattern or is it just a a phase? That's what we need to really identify. Anything deeper than that is is a whole episode. But Ryan Atkins just made a post about overtraining Mm -hmm. and burnout. It's worth reading. Yeah, I agree. But he talked about appetite, weight gainer loss, life energy, things like that. You know. When it starts to be a repeat occurrence, that's when you readjust things. We'll do a full episode on it here one of these days about reading your body signals. How about that? Um, do you have one that you'd like to jump into? I think we, we, I think we gave a good stab at that one for keeping it Q and A style. Let's let's stick with your three. See how far into the episode we get. Okay. I don't want to push for numbers today. I want to be. Yep. I want to be in depth. Okay. Um, so this question comes from Mace Hamlin. Hamblin. I don't know if the bee's silent, probably. Mace, let me know. Um, This followed up our mini-series on like speed training, threshold training, quality long run. This follows up our speed episode. Mm. It says, hey, Kirk, enjoying the speed work episode of The Running Public. Quick question. So when we're talking about speed work as race pace or faster, how does that translate to an OCR course? Because trails kind of throw pace out the window. Do you then just base speed quality on RPE, like an 8 or 9 out of 10, or percentage of heart rate max? He's well looking, and then he leaves it there. He's looking for, if we're talking speed training, how do we tra- how do we translate that to OCR? Mm-hmm. Maybe trail as well. So I have a theory on this, Kirk. Do you, want, you mind if I kick off? Yeah, I do. You do mind? No, I don't at all. Go ahead. Okay, good. All right. So I think that it's important to know why we're doing the workout always. We've talked about that before. It's like saying pay now or pay later. Like, yeah, we know you must know the purpose of every workout you're doing, but it's important because it tells you what you're actually trying to accomplish. And if we're talking speed work, we're not necessarily only talking about like a biological change inside of the body. Like we're not talking systemic change. We're not talking working at a lactate uh, inflection point. We're talking about pace. And pace, it doesn't matter how you feel for pace as much, which is why I have a little issue sometimes with people doing workouts in super shoes and hitting their pace. Mm. Because 
If for OCR, for example, you're doing a workout at, you've decided that on course, the fastest pace I run is 10K pace during a sprint, but it feels like 5K effort. So that's what I'm going to call race pace is 5K to 10K pace is race pace. So I'm going to hit 5K pace here. Let's say that is six minutes per mile on an OCR course on terrain. Well, if you run it on the track in super shoes, running six minutes per mile while it accomplishes race pace does not accomplish what you're trying to do. It's not feeling like race pace. You're not using the stride you would use for race effort. And so speed alone isn't the only thing we have to work for on that day. It's the same thing why I have an issue with people using super shoes and hitting lactate threshold pace. Because in theory, if you are more efficient in super shoes, that's what the original Nike 4% claim was. Not that you're 4% faster, it's that you're 4% more efficient with your running. Then you're working 4% more efficiently, so you're not at your lactate inflection point. Even though you're hitting the pace that your lactate threshold test said you should be running, you're not actually accomplishing exactly what you wanted. So sometimes there are mitigating factors in there. So anyways, if you identify a pace for OCR, I think it's important to always balance it out with actually hitting the effort of OCR for your speed work. So for me, I always like to think that your plus one and minus one standard deviation from the race. So if you're running a Spartan sprint, that is a 5k distance. You're probably running 10k pace at 3k effort. That tells that that's about what I think a, an OCR race is. One deviation slower because of terrain and compromised and one deviation harder because of the nature of the course. So that's what I would consider speed work. So then I would do flat out speed work at 3K pace, and then I would do terrain work or compromised work at that 10K pace. And then I feel like I'm covering both ends of, both ends of the spectrum to get it done. That was a lot of words I threw at you there, Kirk, but I have very strong feelings about this. Your feelings are valid. However you feel is valid, because they're your feelings. Thank you. But I happen to agree with your feelings. Well, they can be true, but not valid. How you feel is how you feel, Bracken. No, no way around it. Um, no, I, agree. I don't believe that either. <laughs> I believe you can recondition how you feel, Kirk. <laughs> we'll make that a different episode too. During the race, I'm going to be telling myself, you are a champion. You feel great. And that may not be true. <laughs> All right, let's see. Um, so I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, I'm going to just dumb it down, if you don't mind. Okay, please do. When it comes to OCR, screw pace. F pace. Pace don't matter whatsoever what matters is effort as bracken outlined effort is all that matters so let's say you're doing a specific ocr work which is what really is going to help you understand your effort on the ocr course the same principle applies as let's say you were going to race a 5k on the track and you went out and did 400 meter repeats faster than 5k pace to make 5k pace seem easier the same principle applies if you're going to go run a Spartan sprint that's 5K in duration. You're going to go set up intervals in a style in which you can run faster and harder because of the interval setup and duration. So maybe that means something simple like 10 pull-ups, 10 grip changes, 400 meter run. Absolutely, you're going to be running that 400 meter run faster than anything you're going to do out on course on race day because you have structured rest in between interval sets, right? And so you're you're actually over speed training for the task at hand. Regardless as to the speed, I don't even think it really mm -hmm. matters what the pace actually is. But the design of the workout is allowing you to run hard after uh, a strength movement, we will call it. 
and you're training your body to transition fast so that way when you transition slightly slower on race day from obstacle to running it feels somewhat comfortable compared to the intensity of your training and so it all comes down to effort whether you're doing your OCR work on the track on the trails which would be ideal or on the treadmill you just set up the style in which you allow yourself to charge up to run a bit faster in a compromised state um, I don't mean to dumb it down that much and hopefully that made sense but really you just take the components of what OCR requires and you break it up into small chunks and give yourself some rest. That's what we do in speed training on the track for a simple 5K. And so if you don't want to overthink it, just worry, just know that you are setting up workouts in which a lighter run faster than you're going to be out on course. As simple as that. And, and again, I'm dumbing it down a little bit, but that's sort of the essence of it. I think the easiest way to get to the bottom of what matters in any question is if you had to answer it for, if I could only do one thing, if I could only train for OCR based off pace or based off effort, which one would I do? And you would probably choose effort. And so that is where you start going with. And and, and some people will argue that pace is just so necessary to do to run well. And there's some validity there, but let's say you wanted to train for a 5K, Kirk, on the track and qualify for the Olympic trials. If you did all of your work at a 5% incline, all of your speed work. Could you run near your ceiling in a 5K on the track at 3 to 5% incline for all of your interval sessions? Yes, I think close. Would you ever touch 5K pace? You wouldn't be able well, yes, you probably could but for very short interval bouts, but not for anything extended, no. So for 800s, for miles, for Ks, could you run at pace? No, you'd probably be a little slower. No, so then pace doesn't matter. Exactly. I know that's reductionist. I know that's an oversimplification, but if you can do it without it, it's not necessary. Now, some of it in there is helpful. I do believe that as well, but it's the least important aspect of obstacle course racing because we can look at all the great champions of the sport, anyone who's ever won a race in their life, and you cannot identify a pace that was most important. You cannot identify a training metric that they all hit. You can't identify a road racing or track PR that they all shared. OCR is far too complicated and far too unclean in its approach for pace to be the most important thing. Yeah, preach, brother. Preach, brother. Um, I I think that your, your rule of doubling the race distance is great if you need to get focused on pacing. 5K on, let's call it a flat OCR course with clean running roughly shooting for 10 K pace and, and so on mm -hmm. and so forth. I think that's great. Um, but how many OCR courses are flat and groomed? I mean, maybe a savage race once in a while, maybe you get lucky with some sort of venue that lets you run on clean terrain for a period of time. But even then pace really is almost negligible considering the technicality or the gunk they put you through. So I agree with you. Pace is the wrong answer. Um, I did have, it's funny. This still keeps popping up. I had a few, uh, I had a few athletes this week race Utah and refer to their time, like my time compared to last year and my time compared. Mm -hmm. That's another thing where like courses are so different, right? And time is completely irrelevant on course one year to the next, unless it's the exact same course, which it rarely is. And if time is irrelevant out on course, how relevant is the pace you ran <laughs> to achieve that time, right? It's null and yeah. void. So to the case in point to back up what you'd said. Yeah, that, that time thing is a tricky one. And I, I, I see that the open and age group class really lean towards time. You almost never, I've, I don't know if I've ever heard an elite uh, competitor, one of the pro sides of the field, reference their time versus a previous year, other than 
to plan out their training. This race usually takes an right. hour 50 to 220. So my long runs and my sessions have to be able to set me up for that. I've never heard ever really male or female say, Oh, I ran seven minutes slower this year. I wonder what's going on in training. It's, Cause it's just not a metric that matters. Yep. I just thought it was funny nuance. Cause I think that every time I see it, when somebody says that and I'm like, and, and pace obviously goes along with not mattering if, if your time feels irrelevant out on an OCR course, but hopefully Mace that answers your question. Even Kirk, like you and I run our hill workouts on ski hills. Mm-hmm. We know how big of a difference one rep can be in time, whether they've recently mowed or not. Mm-hmm. It's the same hill every single time. But if there's another week's worth of, of growth on there, it is different for both the climbing and the descending. So there's just too many variables. You can't you can't look at it. Like Mount Marathon has been run on the same course every July 4th for decades, right? Mm-hmm. And the winning time this year was three minutes slower than last year, uh, than the course record by the guy who set the course record. Yeah, wasn't it a slop fest this year? Just a different year. Slop fest, hot, right. winning's winning, time doesn't matter. And that's, and that's pure running. That's not an obstacle placement or anything. That's just, that's the same trail, up and down. Go for it. Even just the conditions alone, aside from obstacle placement and yeah. course design. Um, all right. Then my third one here that I thought we could do a little deeper dive. Now, this is a very specific. Um, this is going to help some people, I believe, that are on uh, the running public training plan. So, I mean, we have a whatever. There's okay. a, hopefully a few hundred listeners here that this is relevant to. And if you're not, maybe it piques your curiosity enough to hop on. Anyways, Evan Light says, Brackenkirk. Hope you're both are good and had a fun holiday. He sent this email to both of us. Did you end up reading it and responding? Do you know? Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. When was this sent? Uh, I, I screenshot this, I think, last Wednesday. So the day after the 4th. I'm cam- I've been camping. Okay. He's been camping. Evan Bracken, Bracken be camping. No service. We're up there camping. <laughs> yes. All right, we won't hem and haw over this, Bracken. We'll, we'll hem and haw. Over nope, him. we're not hoeing it up here. Hope you're both good and had a fun holiday. I had a question for you. Maybe this is a Training Tuesday type question, really. I had a super scheduled for August 5th, but we'll be in Belgium for a Formula One race. And then he says, sorry, Bracken, NASCAR doesn't do it for me. <laughs> I am realizing now that is likely going to mess up that race. Oh, he's so he's going to go Formula Run race from July 26th to August 3rd. So basically, he's going overseas for a week straight right before his super scheduled on August 5th. I think that's probably Asheville. So, okay, we got it. He's going overseas on a trip week prior. Uh, I'm realizing now that it's likely going to mess up that race pretty bad with the travel waffles and chocolate I plan on enjoying for my 40th. So I decided to switch to the beast in November. That's also near me. So my question is two parts. So we decided to bail and move back to a beast in November, basically uh, a varying schedule. Do I go back to a base phase for another month or so, then restart harder training? I now have like 18 weeks and that's really the only race I have on the calendar. If so... How long would you suggest with that much time out? I recall last year, the TRP plan essentially ended at the end of September and started a base after that. Will that be occurring similarly again? I want to attempt a shift in the schedule and wasn't sure where I should backdate from or where the main peaks may occur in your season schedule you have built on the TRP plan. Um, Hmm. He goes on as a side note. We'll leave that. Something about a Milwaukee buddy. Anyways, thanks for the insight and keep up all the awesome work. So two-parter here, which is just, which one is good because people are asking about the general scope of the running public training plan. If Evan's wondering, everybody's wondering, I would assume. And then two, 
let's say mm -hmm. he he's going a long period of time between races you have a three-month gap between races you're not the over racer i will call it under racing if there is such a term so you have these big gaps between races you constantly go in and out of base phase sharpening phase peak phase or do you just keep your fitness rolling so why don't we why don't we start with the first question which is what would you do if you were him if you're not racing till november now okay this happens a lot it mm -hmm. seems and every time someone i work with asks this i say we have two options the first is we pull the plug right now and we start building for this second race, which is now the, the big race, with whatever we have in fitness right now. We pull the plug now and switch to it and get every day of work at, that we can. And if that race would be best served by a base phase, sure. Um, it wouldn't probably be a long one. It would probably be more like we go back one stage of training. I wouldn't reset all the way back. But the other option is... See your plan through and simulate or time trial when the work that was supposed to be accomplished in that block is done. So sometime in the next couple of weeks, see, see it through to fruition and then test yourself out so you can find out exactly what this block of training did for you. And I think that's important so that A, you know what you accomplished and B, you understand what needs to be built now. Because how many times have we done a training block for something and got better at something else? That's that's how I found out that long grindy stuff makes me good at running short and fast. If I if my if my ultra had been canceled, I never would have figured out that long hill sessions and long threshold runs are going to lead to my 5K and mile PRs. I needed to see that through, and I needed to test myself and find that out. So I do think it's important, even if you drop everything right now. This is a perfect time to time trial or do a simulation of something to find out what change was caused to my fitness by the work I've done. I could not agree more. I, I am curious to get your insight on like the decision to scrap his August 5th race altogether. You know, like, is it one of those things mm -hmm. where he just feels like he wouldn't be able to enjoy himself on his vacation fully if he was worried about a race looming coming home, which I totally get. Yeah time zone changes, all that. Maybe he only wants to travel once or twice a year for racing. And so to go do that on a potentially compromised body or lead. And I get it. Just interesting if you even think that's the right decision or if you'd be like, suck it up, go eat your waffles and your chocolate, go watch the zoomies around the racetrack. And then just whatever happens, happens. I wouldn't want to do that much travel, but it's just an interesting, uh, it could be a topic of discussion. We'll leave that off the table. Um, I agree with you. I think it sounds like his intention is to go enjoy a vacation. And what a shame would it be to not know what your current training did for you? Because you need those tangibles to know for the future for maybe a next race lead in. So I would follow the script exactly as you said, or I'd pull the plug immediately. I'd do some sort of tri time trial or fitness based metric. I'd probably lead it all the way up to my vacation, go out with a bang, allow myself to enjoy that week, right? Um, whether that's time trying a local trail, hopping in a local race, running a 5K on the track, whatever you feel like is going to be a good measure of your progress, and then go enjoy without the pressure on your vacation, and then do abbreviated versions of every step of the cycle when you, once you come back. Because he's got all of August, September, October. Mm -hmm. Great. Let's go and just sit in what we would call a base phase for a month-ish, really layer in some more stuff for a month This get really race-specific that last month, and then go race, so to speak. So if you've been working with purpose all year, you really are allowed to abbreviate these phases. Like, really? You could really do it. Three months, plenty of time to go start from the beginning when you get back, and just four-week blocks instead of sitting in something for six to 12 weeks, and it works really well. So... 
Um, I, I wasn't very specific as far as exact tangibles, but it, it's an outline. Well, I'll get slightly more specific then. One of the great benefits of going and testing yourself now, ideally on some sort of course that will mimic what you plan to do this fall in your in that uh, beast distance race is that it's going to expose something that's lower or higher than you expected it to be. Let's say that thing is descending or climbing or technical running. You can go do your base phase next if you want, but it's going to be a skill base phase. Go ahead, build your volume up and all that, but you get to practice the skill of the thing you're lacking right now before you go back into your really uh, heavy workload of quality work. But you can shore up something in these next several weeks that you didn't know needed to be shored up. So I think what you find out in your test will really dictate where you go from from here, but it's it's usually hill-based that we struggle with, right? It's hill-based or it's I have not enough top-end speed or I have not enough staying power. All those things are things you can work on in base phase, transitional base, or like a threshold block. You can work on the skill component during those things. So you might as well do it. You got the time. Mm -hmm. I think the big thing is is to learn what your current... The big thing you don't want them to lose is still give yourself an opportunity to learn what your current training did for you before you just look four months ahead now to November. Like, let's get data points now, right? It's valuable info. Yeah. And I would do exactly what you outlined. Since we, ha if it's truly November, that's what he said. Yeah. I'm guessing he's going to go to slow or something and run the beast would be my guess. Okay. Then I would train all the way up until race. I mean, vacation week, like you said, and I would time trial as close to my, my flight leaving as possible. Like the day before would be fantastic. And if that's too stressful, two days before mm -hmm. I would do something really big so that you can enjoy the vacation. You're going to need downtime anyway. You can just kick back on the flight and say, hey, I'm recovering. You don't have the stress of, I've got to get up and move every 30 minutes on this flight because I have training to do when I land and I've got to train through it and I can't have this drink or this chocolate or whatever. No, get your big effort right before and then use your downtime on the flight or the vacation to plan out what you need to work on next. It's exactly how I would do it. Yep. So then he is wondering from there, how do you, if you're on the TRP training plan, and why don't we outline this for people? So... The TRP training plan, If you are, we mm -hmm. have two separate plans. One is the OCR plan, and then one is the running plan, the non-OCR plan. Uh, the age group national or uh, North American Championships is in Killington this year, if I'm not mistaken, um, in September, correct? Um, so yeah. typically our plan does aim for a big swing then. Bracken and I have not created the plan yet beyond that into the fall um last year god it's almost a year ago i believe we we laid off some of the ocr work for a bit after the big finale now that we have two plans and this is something i'm glad you're asking this now because we need to suss this out is since we have a traditional run plan are we going to keep ocr skill work in year round for our ocr plan people or how we're going to approach that as tbd still so i guess we could we could ha we could talk it out. Do you have your thoughts on what's going to happen? Because Evan wants to know what the heck he should do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the build will take everyone through being able to run well in the mountains through the end of fall. And then after that, it'll be kind of a... My, my thought would be that it's a choose-your-own-adventure block where we will keep building through the beginning of December for those people who are trying to do uh, Abu Dhabi Greece. or or slow or things like that. A lot of trifecta world champ folks. Trifecta mm -hmm. world championships. Yes. Thanks for reminding me of that. But there'll be a, a caveat in the workouts for those who are already 
in off season, so, which basically is going to be replacing the quality work with something else. We'll just have like a, a choose your own adventure last month of the year path. Get a jump on your off season or train through to the end of the year. That That's how I would anticipate we're going to handle this. Yeah, we got to get that down on paper still, but I do think it would be a disservice to not see the OCR skill work through to the world championships because that really is our Super Bowl, our big highlight point. So sure. so we're definitely going to have specific OCR work for you um, beyond the Killington race in September. Um, something our OCR folks could do if, let's say, they're done after Killington and they're not racing again till the following April. Um, I think a, a multi-option OCR plan, like you mentioned, we'll have to put that together or transition over to the run-only plan and then transition back after the first of the year. You can go back and forth between the two plans as well. But um, I think we've just sussed out we're going to keep OCR work in through the end of the year. I think Abu Dhabi is the first weekend in December. So we're going to see a focus there probably all the way through then. Yeah. And base building for OCR with compromise, slower compromise running is a really sustainable thing. Yep. If we have OCR 400 for people on the docket for Abu Dhabi and they're running it at 5K effort, dropping it down to half marathon effort, taking out the rest and doing it as a tempo run is a great base building workout. So we'll have ways to modify things or just separate workouts for those in off season. Who knows? We maybe even just have a base mode that we slap on for people when they're ready. We'll have to discuss Maybe this. this will get even more tech savvy. We'll see. We try to keep the technology to a minimum. It's not an overly complicated. That's how we keep the, the price low. That's, that's very true. Nineteen ninety nine a month. So, okay. So that's it for me. Those are the three I wanted to get to today. We have five minutes. Do you have anything you want to wedge in in five minutes? No. All right. Let me ask you something then because we have a guest interview coming up this week. So we're not going to talk about ourselves on the Friday okay. episode that you guys are going to hear. So what is your strategy this weekend in Palmerton? Now that we know everything, how how are you going to be approaching the weekend? So my mindset is, is really just like mess around and find out. Mm. It's been what? Five, six years of just lily pad hopping, injury to injury, setback to setback. And so I look at the sport and I see people that I used to be competitive with, you know, plus or minus one level above, below, or right at them. And some of them are no longer competitive and some of them are. And so I look at it and I just don't have a lot of clarity if, is there a place in the sport for me right now as a competitive athlete? And I don't need it anymore, but it's always interesting and fun to be a part of something competitive. So I just want to find out. Mm. Me, off this style of training, has me, I don't know, what would we say, Kirk? 85, mid to high 80s of my potential right now, I would say. I think that's fair to say. Somewhere between 85 and 90% of my what I could do on course. I'm probably right around there. Would you say that's fair? I think it's fair. Yeah, I think it's fair. I, I think it would be, in this race style, in the rounds, I think you could even access more percentage, but it's the 3K that's going to go 25 minutes. That's the one where I think you might be at 80. That You might be at 85% there, yeah. Yeah, I'll be 90 plus for the first K. That's fine. And so at that level of fitness, it's high enough that I can feel people on course and, and know whether this is worth doing or not. It, 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 I've, I've raced in this level of fitness enough against top people to know what that's like. And so I got to go out there and feel it. So obviously I'm there to try to get top five to punch my ticket into world championships. If I don't punch it, that's okay because it's a three-point race. Then I just have to get two more points and I'm eligible for the selection committee, however that works. So it's not like a life or death race. I just want to find out. I want to find out, have some of these people fallen off because they've done what I've done and they've just become lesser versions of themselves 
Or is it that everyone else spent the last five to six years getting that much better? So I just want to go out there and feel it. So the first round, that first thousand meters, I'm going to try to do it as close to possible on cruise control and learn, knock rust off, practice transitions, practice staying really relaxed and breathing through things. Because realistically, if I can't get through, if I'm not one of the top, what, if they say there's 45 people that show up, if I can't be one of the 30 people to get through to semifinals off a high-end cruise control, focusing on skill work thing, I don't have a place in the sport anymore. You've got to be able to get through those rounds with less than maximal effort. So that's my plan round one. If partway through, I realize I've got to go full throttle just to make it, then that's what's going to do. But round one is learning. Mm -hmm. Just shake off the rust. Round two is practicing what I'm going to try to do in the final. And then the final is just going to be, uh, I'm going to run a really tactical race in theory. I might get there with no energy by the final, but I don't think I'm going to be putting myself up into the race in any of these rounds. I'm going to try to run it at a very tactical effort and make moves where appropriate. But the final is just leave it all out there and see what I actually have compared to the best people in the sport right now. Is that a decent synopsis? It's a great synopsis. And I think the goal really is to get to the start line of the final, not having used your matches to get there, Mm -hmm. right? Get to the start line of the final with not having to burn or shoot all the arrows in your quiver to get there. And if you can do that, then you have a fighting chance of going and performing. I will say I've had a chance in recent years to go shoulder to shoulder with some of these guys, right? In some of these races, everything is faster in person than it looks on TV, so a lot of times we can it can be underwhelming to watch as a sport like they're not going very fast up that mountain or he's that doesn't look that it doesn't look that unmanageable when you're out there and you're actually doing the thing it's like feels like it's on fast forward and you realize that these guys are animals i will say i believe and it's been a bit since i've fully chased a series right the comp the top end of the sport i think saturate like like those guys are animals. They're, it's it. It hasn't taken a step back. And I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm just saying that in the fact that like, yeah, these guys are for real. Girls are for real. It's no slower than it was back in the day for sure. So that's where the sport's at. And so it, you're going to get a good viable subject study as to where you are against some of the best. And that's a good. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. That's what I, that's I, and I am fearful of the speed of it. In the 1,000s, I don't believe I'm fearful of the speed of it. For the 3,000, I'm fearful of that sustained speed because that's that's that 5 to 15% I'm missing <laughs> is that exact thing. So, yeah, the first two rounds, the goal is really to focus on stealing seconds in a smooth yep. way because I'm going to need to be able to do that under duress in yep. the final. So two rounds of practice. But we've seen pretty good athletes not make the final and pretty good athletes not go top 10 in the final. So top 10 would be, that'd be a good day. I love it. It's not going to stroke my ego, but top 10, make it to the final with a chance to compete is really the the thing I want to do. Good. And I believe people can, we got to wrap here, but I believe people can watch this on the OCI report on YouTube. I would assume they live stream it per usual. Yeah. So if you want to check that out, I believe the rounds start, what time? Three in the afternoon, Eastern time? I th- uh, four. 4 p.m. Eastern time. So do the math there. My ticket says 417 is my wave. That's very precise. That is precise. So start paying attention around 3 p.m. Eastern time. How about that? Just start paying attention around then. See what pops up. If you want to support your good friend and mentor Bracken Crocker, maybe hop on, give it a watch. No pressure, Bracken. Um, I will be doing such. So good luck. No, good destiny, as my history teacher would say in high school. Luck isn't part of it. 
Good destiny. Every time he'd hand you a test, he would say, good destiny. And I was in ninth grade. I was like, what's that mean? He'd be like, good destiny. And be like, okay. Never said good luck. So good destiny to you. Maybe that's what this is about. Find out what my destiny is for this year. Mm-hmm. Is my destiny to chase after the Spartan World Championship and try to make a run at a top 10, a top five or something there? Or is it just to, all right, it was cool. It's not option. It's not an option this year. It's not viable. Let's just build good fitness through the mm-hmm. end of the year. Get ready for some from 2024 racing. So maybe this is a destiny determiner. Well, my destiny was to get a C minus in history that year. So in case you're wrong, that was my worst grade. Nice. Yeah, he was brutal. Uh, your destiny is going to be at least a B plus or better in this race. I got a good feeling. So you know, my grade, I want an A for effort and execution. Yeah. And wherever that lands you on the sliding bell curve, it lands you. Yeah. I don't want to fail something and not find out. Mm. I want to execute so well that I know exactly what my fitness tells me it can do. That's it. It's a great goal. Wrap it. Good destiny.